Welcome to the Cultural Life of the Nobel Prize in Literature podcast, where we explore the literature prize's social, ideological, and institutional functions as the most recognized literary honor in the world. Amidst mounting skepticism towards the legitimacy and credibility of the Nobel as an arbiter of global literary excellence, its status as the preeminent literary prize remains. However, our understanding of the uses of the Literature Prize's prestige has yet to be fully fleshed out. We believe it is important to think about what we stand to gain and lose by preserving the global significance of the Nobel. So in this podcast series, we speak with scholars and writers from around the world to discuss the Nobel Prize in Literature's prominence as a signifier of meaning, a structuring of discourse, and even a narrative motif in different cultures and societies. Welcome to the Cultural Life of the Nobel Prize in Literature podcast. Today we have Professor Shelley Chan with us. Um, she has published uh, perhaps the one of the most important books in English on uh, the Nobel laureate uh, Moyen. Um, and the title of that book is A Subversive Voice in China, The Fictional World of Moyen. Uh, so, Professor Chan, maybe we can start off by just asking you about the title. Um, so your title highlights uh, a very interesting word here uh, or phrase, right? a subversive voice in China. I'm just wondering what, why is it important really to highlight uh, this aspect of Mo Yan uh, in your study, a subversive voice in China? You know, subversive voice in China by, you know, sub subvertiveness actually what I mean is like um let's subvert subvert the reading experiences of the Chinese readers yeah so of course including his disapproval towards the political circumstances um but not limited to that you know I would say say for example um he challenges the like the concept of history you know, in revolutionary historical fiction and his um, experimental writing style, his language, his use of colors, his use of adjectives and, and so on. Uh, and also his fictional characters are very um, different from uh, what the Chinese readers used to, you know, to see or to read, to have. So, um, this is how I feel, you know, he is so different and also he's so like not only different, but like subverting the um, old tradition and the um, existing reading experiences and introduce a new, a totally new um, reading experiences to um, the Chinese readers. Ah, so the the idea of subversiveness is not limited really to a, a political stance right i think what you're mentioning late was how as a writer you know the writing techniques and also the characterizations are also very different yeah so subverting audience expectations of sorts that type of subversiveness yeah, that's very interesting not 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 you know limited to you know um political circumstances yeah, um, that's the thing because when we think of Mo Yan or just Chinese literature in general, I think 
it's very difficult to separate aesthetics from politics. Yeah, it's almost as if you develop a new or different voice because you want to say something different uh, in a, mes a different message in society. Yeah, would you say so? That's also something that Mo Yan is considering. Like he has, um, because he has something new to say, therefore he develops something subversive. Yeah, I think so. You know, as I told my students when I uh, teach like Chinese literature, um, and I always told them that, you know, um, you read Chinese literature, very often you will find, well, it's so many uh, mentioning description or um, of uh, like politics and the impacts of politics on Chinese people. Yeah, but I said, this is true, you know, because um, it's hard to uh, separate, like you said, you know, uh, the writing, uh, the narrative with um, politics, especially in modern and contemporary Chinese literature. Yeah, mm -hmm. so um, yeah, back to the issue of like subversiveness that I definitely find that Mo Yan, you know, he had something uh, new to say and also the way to say that, yeah, he um, could be say like transcending or breaking away from the, uh, the traditional revolutionary stereotype or mm -hmm. the revolutionary, uh, like um, the old writing style. Mm. I'm just wondering, is there like a, a specific example of this? Maybe like you mentioned about when you're teaching Mo Yan to your students, are, is there an example that the students usually would gravitate towards and be like very impressed by Mo Yan? Is there like an example of that? Teaching Chinese literature to foreign or non-Chinese hmm. students is very different from, you know, the experience of like, um, um, the experience of the um, native speakers. Well, of course, you know, uh, teaching Chinese literature, teaching Mo Yan to um, my American students, college students, um, I have to give them lots of uh, background information. And then probably, you know, well, you have to tell them what the, um, Chinese um, society, Chinese history, and you know, mm. a lot of the, you know, it doesn't matter how long or how detailed or how much I introduce the, you know, the background information, I still feel that's not enough. That's not enough. Probably <laughs> they, they still don't get it. You know, I don't know how much they get it, but still, you know, uh, um, they maybe they will find, um, no big deal, you know, you can write whatever you want and then you can challenge the government and you know, no, this is their experience. This is their culture, right? But this is not, you know, the Chinese culture. Yeah, mm. the uh, Chinese expect the reader's expectation. But, you know, for uh, Chinese um, native speakers, uh, especially for those who have experienced some political campaigns and some, um, you know, grew up in this, um, let's say, for example, um, for those who have experienced like the Great Leap Forward, who have experienced the Cultural Revolution, or even if they didn't really experience themselves, you know, experience those uh, campaigns themselves, but at least, you know, from the collective memory or post memory, you know, they know about it. 
you know, they know like greatly forward what, what was going on. And then uh, it was said to be the um, like three years of natural disaster. And then that actually, you know, from uh, more and more disclosing of um, like the, the records, so then we knew actually um, it's more like a man-made uh, disaster, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. also um, like the cultural revolution too, mm -hmm. you know, now um, people said it's a like 10 years of um, disaster, right? So mm -hmm. for Chinese people, you don't have to do this. Yeah, so, and then when they read, say for example, in uh, the Res Rogan family, Mm. And they read, you know, the protagonist, the, the male protagonist, um, uh, Yu Zhen Ao. Then it's like, wow, this guy is very different from what I have mm. read from the former like, revolutionary um, uh, historical fiction. You know, he is a, he's not a Communist Party member, first of all, you know, and then he has kind of like mixture of good and evil natures. You know, he, he's a murderer. He, you know, committed adultery and he, you know, did all kinds of like bad things. But at the same time, his um, charisma is very attractive. You know, he is a, um, like almost, you can call him a national hero, you know, in the sense of like leading his, um, um, folks to fight against the Japanese invaders. And so it's kind of like the mixture, um, nature of this person make him more real, um, more related to politics, okay? You know, in the, um, his early novel, uh, Garlic Ballads, you know, uh, those peasants were like exploited. And then later, you know, they had a, almost like uprising or something like that. And then they were arrested. And then a young PLA uh, officer, like People's Liberation Army officer who defended the, uh, the peasants in the court and said something totally, you know, well, to me is like, um, well, the traditional Chinese reader, um, well, traditional, I mean, those people who used to read revolutionary um, uh, fiction or novels could not imagine something like, mm -hmm. you know, communist, well, I don't have the book with me for now, you know, I can recite a, a precise uh, wording, but something like, you no, know, um, um, the communist party is not the same anymore, you know, um, uh, if they are not like working for us or serving, uh, the people uh, we, sh we should overthrow them. And you know, something like that is very wow, you know, um, kind of like a shocking effect. Yeah, um, that's one thing I, I, I've noticed about Mo Yan, like your examples you've raised. One, of course, is uh, going back to a more historical period, uh, let's say the, the Great Leap Forward or the Cultural Revolution, and Mo Yan uh, being part of that. Uh, post Mao, new era type of writer, they they are interested in reclaiming that historical narrative, right? They want to subvert it or challenge even the the, the so called official narrative uh, about uh, China's past. So Mo Yan definitely contributes to that, like you mentioned um, in Rest Organ, but also in the uh, a more contemporary times, right? You mentioned about the Guard Ballad. There's uh, also 
commenting on how like sort of like a uh income like a ineptness of the local government mm-hmm. right that reminds me of two things right first of all his pen name it literally means don't speak so it's it, it is kind of already highlighting that he's not always out there in terms of being vocal right like he prefers to don't speak at times but it's almost as if only when he is forced to speak, therefore he speaks up. That's why that's sort of his pen name, I suppose. That you know, we all know that he's from a middle peasant family. You know, so in the according to the communist uh, categorized categorizations of uh, like these classes, like middle peasant is kind of like in between. You know, it's not necessarily like. Um, uh, landlords and rich peasants—they are definitely uh, like the um, the enemies of the uh, common uh, of the communist camp. But uh, at the same time, they are not the poor uh, peasants that they they consider their own comrades, right? So middle peasant is like kind of like in between. It could be if you you don't. Um, pay attention to your behavior, your speaking or anything, you could be easily labeled like a class enemy and uh, categorized to the other side, you know? And then it could be like, uh, okay, if you're uh, good, you're um, obedient and you you always like behave, um, then you could be, you know, part of like, us or something. So, you know, they are kind of like always like living um, in this kind of stage, the, the great stage. So the parents are very careful about that. And then if a kid is not very careful about what he was talking about and maybe sometimes offended uh, the leaders or something, I don't know what he said, but, you know, then his mom asked him to, hey, shut up, don't speak, mm-hmm. don't speak mm-hmm. that much. Yeah, and then you know, probably what he what he said had you know uh, brought some troubles to his family, and then his mother warned him, "Don't speak, shut up." You're now listening to the Cultural Life of the Nobel Prize Literature Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at nobelculturallife.wordpress.com. Now back to the podcast. When. Mo Yan won the Nobel Prize in 2012, uh, there was definitely some controversies uh, mm. to speak so in a very reserved way uh, uh, around the world. Um, and specifically, they were commenting on how, you know, Mo Yan is someone who is very institutionalized. There's this image of him as being part of almost uh, authoritarian government's uh, uh, apparatus of sorts. Um, do you think that criticism towards Mo Yan is a fair one, though? Um, I want to, yeah, see what you think about this. Yeah, this is a very interesting question. You know, I, of course, I'm uh, um, aware of the the, the very mm. hot debate, you know, um, after he won the Nobel Prize in Literature in um um, 2012, um, I totally understand um, why some, you know, um, quite a big group of scholars like thinking that Mo Yan was um, worthy of the Nobel Prize, you know, but my own personal experience, uh, my own personal belief, opinion is that I don't think it's fair for him. 
you know, well, what he won was a lit um a, a prize in literature. He wasn't mm -hmm. winning a Nobel uh, Peace Prize, right? So um we I really don't think um there is any need for him to become a second Liu Xiaobo. Mm. Yeah, and then and also he well he is a writer, right? And the Nobel Prize, as they said, you know, um awarded him the, the prize because they believe, you know, the, the Nobel Nobel Prize um committee, they believe that he is a writer who with hallucinatory realism merges folk tales, history, and the contemporary. They didn't mention politics, right? Mm -hmm. Of course, you know, um, this, um, this prize is always very controversial, you know, and many people um, believe that it has to be uh, connected with like um, politics and have to be those writers who receive them, um, the, this prize have to be like politically like rebellious, uh, politically uh, subversive. We might say there are two more yens. Mm. Yeah, and some people also said that, you know, there are two more yens, more yen of literature and more yen of reality. Mm. Yeah, so more yen of literature, at least uh, what I read, um, I would say he deserved the price. Yeah, mm -hmm. he was worthy. And then also, you know, I already gave you a couple of examples and then more recent examples, you know, the more examples from his uh, more recent um, 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 novels, say for example, um, Frog, Frog. Yeah, he severely criticized the one-child policy. And then uh, Frog, uh, you could see many details actually were developed from his former like, short stories and novenas. And then in his former stories, you will see the criticism was not that severe, but you know, when it comes to frog and they become more and more severe and more and more critical. Yeah, say for example, you know, they um, like um, in his earlier, story, you know, that the woman who was forced to abort her baby did not die. No, but in frog, she died. But, you know, uh, as a uh, Communist Party member and also a long time uh, army writer, actually Mo Yan has lots of like, restrictions. And also I would say he has for the most part, you know, been writing uh, with feathers like mm. uh, the famous um, um, poet, Wen Yiduo, who said, mm. you know, poets were writing poems with feathers, like um, yeah, mm. but, you know, but um, for Wen Yiduo, that kind of uh, feathers is like, you know, the regulation, the rules of poetry, but, you know, for Mo Yan is like the, um, he, is part of the institution. He's part of the um, the system. He mm. lives in the system. You know, I would say I, I fully respect what the other 
um, like the Western or people outside China, um, you know, what they believe and what they, uh, how they criticize Mo Yan before myself, you know, I am outside China too, you know, mm. uh, I can say whatever I want, but I would say it's easier for me to criticize him, mm. you know, than, mm. you know, easier said than done, I would say. So in uh, Gloria Fisk's book, she's mentioning, she's defending Mo Yan um, in a way because she's saying, well, it's easy for you yep, to yep, judge yep. Mo Yan because you're outside. And so she, for example, she raises how uh, writers like Toni Morrison in the States, <laughs> well, yeah, she, she is facing uh, oppression, but that oppression does not throw her into jail, right? Her oppression exactly. is of the discrimination, which is serious, but compared to how you know like Mo Yan or writers in China well you get banned or your friends get banned your publishers get banned or um, get locked so, up yeah. right yeah, yeah. you're yeah yeah it's, it, there's a lot of responsibility towards that however I'm just wondering this and I'm just wondering for a writer to write in that type of environment do you think um do you think that that type of literature is, I don't know, would you say that type of literature is a, a, a unique or valuable one or from an aesthetic level? I'm wondering of this because oftentimes when we study literature, we think of literature as being, well, we should be having this free expression. Yeah, that's what makes literature, you know, interesting and valuable to us compared to other forms of writing. Um, does this environment in China, like you mentioned how Mo Yan's name and parents mm -hmm. ask, encourages them to don't speak up, how, like you also mentioned, that type of repercussions that writers face in China. Does that type of environment, that, that climate, allow, I don't know, beautiful literature to come out? Well, it really depends on how you define mm. beautiful literature. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Right? And also, I definitely believe that um, literature like uh, what Mo Yan, um, you know, fiction novels like what Mo Yan wrote, and also uh, some other writers, uh, such as like um, now a very important writer, Yan Lianke. Mm. You know, um, those writers, I definitely think what they wrote is very important. Mm. You know, especially it's, um, it's not easy for them to write literature like this. You know, like, why is it important? I think, you know, um, as I said, they, like Mo Yan, I definitely believe that, you know, what he wrote kind of like transcends or uh, like, breaks away from, you know, the uh, communist orthodoxy. And also like what Yan Lianke is doing now, you know, Yan Lianke has been, you know, his books have been banned from publishing for how many years, you know? And then, um, but like, I think I can um, borrow uh, something Yan Lianke said when he gave a speech at the Frank, uh, Frank Kafka mm. Award. Um, also, I think it's also, you know, suitable for Mo Yan. 
you know, Yen and Ke believe that, you know, he is the, or someone is like looking for a searching for light in darkness. Yeah. So mm. I think mm. at least, you know, um, this is good for more Yen's um, literary creations, mm. at least, mm. you know, before he won the Nobel Prize. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a also a very good point. Um, you know, I originally I propose the question is whether it's beautiful or not, right? But I think the the more important word is like you mentioned, important how important it is, um, and that of course is judged in terms of the context, right? The environment the writer is, is operating in. So let's say in China, the 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 situation is very. Uh, tightly governed and grim, but they're also doing their part in a way to push the boundaries a little bit. Maybe that's why it's important. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you don't have to be um, like dragged uh, on the pavement to become a fighter. <laughs> you know, there are mm -hmm. many ways, you know, so I believe that, you know, as um, literary people like writers mm. they fight in their own ways mm -hmm. um, say for um as i said i just can't help coming back to you know more yes examples you know when you mm. ask me yeah maybe give one example as i can give you 10 yeah, yeah, yeah. you know well um so say for example um in frog again i even read implicit this time is not explicit, mm -hmm. but you know I have textual evidence to support my argument. I even read, you know, his criticism on uh, the May, uh, the I mean, the June Fourth massacre. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's very indirect, but mm -hmm. I can't blame him to be indirect. Maybe he would not admit it, but you know, as a reader, I read it. And also like in life and death are uh, very, wearing me out. You know, you can see how he um, created a independent peasant, the only mm -hmm. independent peasant in the entire country, in the entire like mm -hmm. collectivism, you know? So this is very, you know, you he has guts to write mm -hmm. things like this. And then, you know, in, in the political atmosphere, um, you know, red is um, almost the only politically correct color. And then he praised blue. Mm, yes. So in the, you know, in the atmosphere that, you know, the, the political circumstances that, you know, the sun is the metaphor, the symbol of the, you know, the leader or Chairman Mao. And, he praises the moon. Hmm. Yeah, so, you know, all these are very subversive to me. You know, he, he doesn't have to, you know, pinpoint, you know, I now I'm criticizing Xi Jinping, now I'm criticizing which one, which hmm. one, you know, but, you know, this is a literature. He used his own way, you know, hmm. to express his subversiveness. Thank you for listening, and we hope you have enjoyed this conversation. You can learn more about the cultural life of the Nobel Prize in Literature at nobelculturallife.wordpress.com. 
Please also subscribe to our podcast on Spotify and all major podcast platforms. The Cultural Life of the Nobel Prize in Literature podcast is hosted by Michael Ka Chi Chuck. The production team is Audrey Chen, Celine Wong, and Gwen Wong.